Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber, joined by Logan Whitmer and John Doyle. Today is episode number 82. On today's show, we're going to be talking about design, drawings, and plans, among a variety of other things. So I hope you enjoy today's show. I want to remind you, today's episode is brought to you by Shaper Tools, the makers of the Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. Try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. So based on the topic today, I feel like this is an ambush by Mark and Steve, our shop guys, of like <laughs> grilling me about drawings. Right. Well, where are the drawings? Here's where that came from, from, from my perspective, is I just finished two projects recently, my big workbench and the cabinet that I made for my sister. And then... Just today, we wrapped up a magazine issue and sent it out to the printers to turn from Acrobat PDFs into printed pages. And it was what was interesting is that for my workbench, I was going off for the most part some plans from Shop Notes. Um, and I would say probably 85, 90% probably 85% was pretty much straight up following the plans from shop notes. The uh, uh, cabinet for my sister, on the other hand, was sort of a couple of sketches in my shop notebook that I keep. And then it was just sort of made up as I go along. And yet for the magazine, we take great pains to come up with a good procedure, solid design, lots of drawings, you know, especially from the designers for the shop craftsmen. And then we translate those to, you know, illustrated drawings for the magazine. So the question that I have for you guys is, it's a two-part question. How do you see yourself building projects? You know, do you draw out full plans like either pencil and paper or SketchUp or on a computer? And then how do you actually do it? Mm -hmm. um, I guess for me, if I'm just building something for myself, um, a lot of times it's just kind of like you, I'll sketch out kind of the general size for scale and then I can build from there for the most part. Um, and a lot of times if we do have plans, there's something I'm building from a magazine. It's a lot of modifying to my needs or my scale of project. So we'll do some changing. Um, I don't know if it's more complicated, I guess, though, I'll, I'll draw it out. And cause just in general, it's hard to, to get a size of, of scale on certain things so it's, it's good to kind of model things out as well i guess if it's really complicated but yeah so like for example i'm thinking of three projects for you john that i mm -hmm. know of is well let's do four obviously for the so we could do the playhouse you did yeah was plans 
right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Then what about the uh, um, there was that bath cabinet that you finished not that long ago yeah like the built-in kind of linen right cabinet outside of our bathroom yeah how did you do that did you uh actually i think uh, well i found drawings from it from like 2007 or something so i must have kind of drawn out because it's kind of in an odd spot just outside of the the bathroom door so i was trying to fit it to that exact spot and uh, the way the the ceiling above it kind of comes up, it's underneath the stairs, so it's got a um, kind of an angled ceiling, and then trying to fit it behind the door, the door opening, and um, next to the other stairs. So I drew that one all out, um, but I didn't I didn't necessarily draw the door uh, the drawers to detail or the the all the parts of the doors or the cabinet. It was more drawing it as a solid piece, right, to get to get it to scale and then I could, you know, extrapolate the, the parts out from there, I guess. So just, yeah, I drew that one out kind of a general to, to get it to scale and make sure it would fit in that opening. And then, uh, I didn't need all the parts drawn out. So that one was, you know, kind of half drawn. Um, the playhouse I built from some workbench plans from 25 years ago and the way they had it set up didn't really work for my yard because it's kind of fit into a side yard between the the driveway and a tree and the neighbor's yard and there's a basketball pole in there and uh so just trying to uh i guess set it up as far as the way the swings would swing wouldn't hit the neighbor's landscaping or the, right. the the basketball pole or the garage and the way the slide came down um, didn't really work because that would have dumped the kids right out into the driveway. So <laughs> kind of re reconfigured it to fit for my yard. And then there was a lot of details in there. Like I think they used um, like cedar shingles on the roof and I, I just used asphalt shingles. And so kind of got used it to for general design and, and uh, shape, but then I reconfigured everything to, to fit my needs. And then I'd use some of the, the details, I guess on it, but then customize the ladder and a lot of the other things. So, right. But so again, used it to kind of get the main idea and some, some of the design details, but then customized it for my use. Sure. So then what about like the, uh, uh, you did the basement jungle gym and oh yeah lo- that it. yeah the basement jungle gym uh, i don't think i drew any of that out that was like built to fit an opening <laughs> in our basement and it was a tight fit i think i took home some parts at one time and kind of scribed to the walls and um <laughs> yeah that was definitely built on the fly there it was I had the jungle gym all uh, constructed here and to assemble there. And uh, I remember my wife was like 20 weeks pregnant with our youngest. And she's kind of like just watching me try to get this all fitted and assembled. <laughs> and it's like, you can't help me at all. But you're there to call 911 if this falls on me. 
So there, yeah, that was a lot of just, yeah. And, and that was weird too, because I had to build it all here and then construct it all there basically in one day while the kids were, uh, I don't remember where they were. They were probably hanging out with their cousins that day. Cause it was like a Christmas gift and a surprise. So it wasn't much back and forth. It was like customize it and hope it fits there. And yeah. when I was putting in the, the, um, the monkey bars part that was like built to fit in between the two walls. Remember I took out a corner of the drywall, um, <laughs> trying to put it in and that would have been, let's see, my youngest who my wife was pregnant with is now six. So that was over six years ago. And I just fixed that chunk of drywall this week. <laughs> so don't ever hire me, hire me to do drywall. Cause it's, it takes some time. So, yeah. So that was the same with the, the tree house loft was a same thing. Christmas gift. I uh, did a lot of measuring um, there and double checking and building here. And then as you guys know, um, same thing. I had to build it in a day where the kids were out cause it was a Christmas gift. And, I assumed that our ceiling was eight feet and apparently it is seven feet, six inches in that room. So there was some running back to the shop and reconfiguring after the fact, but that was another thing that kind of just built on the fly and yeah. make it up as I go, but they turned out pretty well. All right. So, yeah. So would your preference be that you would draw stuff out? Maybe not to the extent that you do for the de designs you do for the magazine, but. I mean, or that would be preferential. Will I ever do that? I don't know that I would. Because <laughs> it seems like everything I built is just kind of a working prototype. So right. build it and see if it works and then cuss and wish I would have drawn it out, I guess. but. Yeah. Iterative design, I believe, is yeah. the phrase that people use. Yes. So, Logan, how about you? My... Uh, so the way I usually draw out projects is to hand it to John and say, "John, can you draw this for me?" <laughs> uh, at least when I need an actual drawing for something, um, such as this toolbox from the most recent Popwood issue. Oh, did that issue come out? Uh, so all the drawings, it did. It, uh, it came out. It should be hitting people's inboxes this week. So I got samples last week. Um, so usually, I guess it depends on what I'm building. Like if I'm building based on a design, um, so f first off, I don't generally, it's been very rare that I've actually built something from one of our, our plans. Um, just because I, I have a very particular style I like. Um, so if I'm building based on something, usually I will start with some form of like, you know, napkin sketch, uh, for lack of better term, um, just to figure out proportions. Um, I never, I never really draw stuff out. I mean, really, I'll, I'll draw some components. Um, I have a, a sketch in my book downstairs of um, a dining room chair 
for uh, the table I built last year. Right. Um, and I really just sketched out the back leg because everything is based on the back leg. So, you know, where the mortise is is where the, the seat rails are going to go. And then, you know, the seat rails are, are a, a pretty standard size and the front legs will be based on, again, the mortise height on the back leg. So usually I'm just building to fit. Um, you know, the again, there might be particular dimensions that are critical um, or I, I guess it's really more proportions that are critical. Yeah. Um, however, uh, it's very rare that I will draw anything out. The only time I actually ever will model something out like in SketchUp is if I'm building it for somebody. Okay. So something like uh, the poker table I did last summer, um, I modeled that out in SketchUp um, to get uh, not necessarily sizes, but to get proportions again right and show show uh, the people I was building it for what it was going to look like or what my idea was. Um, but as far as building something, I mean, I will base it on dimensions. So right now, uh, the next project I'll be working on, the next furniture project I'll be working on, is going to be a little humidor for Popwood. And I know that I want it to hold a certain number of cigars of a certain size. So those are my, that's my determining measurement. The rest of them are irrelevant. Sure. Really? Yeah. You know, so um, that's, and that's, I guess, always my thing is until there's a, a specific place it needs to fit, like John's Playhouse in the basement, Jungle Gym, um, or something, you know, everything's really irrelevant as far as measurements go. You know, I mean, there are standard sizes. There's standard table heights. Yeah. There's standard chair heights. Um, but then the dimensions of the table are, you know, who cares if it's 36 inches or 38 inches right. deep. So um, so very rarely will I um, fully, fully draw something out. Um, and a lot of times it's dependent on the material I'm working on, too. Like if I have... Um, you know, a, a certain amount of material and I'm start, I start working with it and all of a sudden, you know, I can't get a table top width that I want. Okay. Maybe everything becomes slightly shorter. Yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking now, of the, uh, the nightstands that you did. Draw stuff? You know, you, yeah, those were very dependent on your materials. Like I think you had an overall size that you were shooting for, but then it was like, by the time you cut out some checks and defects, all of a sudden, guess what? The nightstands are going to be this deep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, and it was, um, yeah, I, I had, God, it was so long ago that I started that. <laughs> and then I finished it just a couple months ago. Uh, yeah, it was, that was a, I glued up the panels. So I glued up three three boards to get the depth I needed. And then I was cutting the top sides and bottom continuous grain out of this board. So it's like, you know what? I'm going to get them out of here. So either the, the width of it's going to change or the depth or the height of it's going to change to get what I need. Um, and again, the nightstands are a great uh, example. I know what I wanted the proportions to be as far as the drawer versus the opening below the drawer. Um, and everything else was irrelevant. I just knew what the proportion was going to be, so I laid it out how I wanted it. Um, so, 
you know, and in it's funny. I always I always approach it a turning with an I like if I'm turning something on the lathe, I always approach it with an idea of what I want it to be. It never ends up being that because, um, you know, I'm gonna be a little bougie here and say I let the wood tell me what it wants to be. I mean, I mean, it kind of wanted to be a tree, but, right? Mm-hmm. It well, yeah, until it got cut down. Uh, but I mean, as far as like the sometimes the the shape just changes as you're working on it. It's like, oh, hey, you know what? I didn't mean to make that cut, but that looks really good. So I'm gonna take that and run with it. Not what I was planning on. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, or sometimes uh, if I'm working on a turning and it's like, you know what? I got some tear out here. I need to make one more cut and it makes the foot a little smaller than it was before, you know, everything just changes based on that. So, um, so I'm not necessarily a full drawer. I will sketch stuff out, um, just to put some numbers, you know, I'll give myself one or two measurements to start Mm -hmm. everything off of, you know, maybe like a, a case height and width, but then everything inside is dependent on that opening. So then I'm just cutting parts to fit. So, right. Um, it's just, a very my my building approach is very free form. Like you know, what it's going to end up being what it's what it is. As long as I hit a couple dimensions that I want, I don't really care. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, I when I first started at Woodsmith and read a little bit from James Krenoff, and I will admit early on that I was not a super experienced woodworker. And you read somebody like Krenoff or Nakashima, and it comes off kind of sounding a little frou-frou and, uh, I don't know, just a little too self-absorbed. But I will say that one thing that I, as I've grown as a woodworker that I've appreciated, especially about Krenoff, was his idea of composing a piece that he talks about with his design, where it's like, you know, it's it's exactly like we've been talking about. It's either got to fit this certain space or I have this general shape that I'm working towards or overall dimensions. But after that, it kind of becomes, hey, what kind of material do I have available? You know, what are the limits put on me by that material? What... And then from there, you know, like the shape of the grain can make you say, hey, we maybe need to put a curve in there or, you know, kind of dictate joinery or something like that. So, uh, so that's for sure. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I have a, I keep a little notebook that I call my shop notebook. It's got some gridded paper. So for example, for the people who are watching this, listening on YouTube, there's the drawings that I did for my sister's cabinet. So there's not a lot of detail there, but it just kind of highlights what are the main points and some of the things that I'm trying to look for. Um, Then I had a couple other projects here that I was thinking too, that I did a small dining table for my sister-in-law and did some drawings there. And again, it's kind of like you were saying, Logan, where it's dining tables are usually like 29 inches high. So I kind of knew that I had that to work with. The part that was complicated for me was the leg joinery, you know, where tendons were going to be and shapes on that kind of thing. So I spent a little bit more time trying to figure those out 
Um, and then that's what, what I drew. And then from there it was, you know, just ideas that I had for shapes and then that are almost traced and freeformed on there on the pieces themselves. And then you kind of cut and start working on it, you know? Oh, I say, you know, what I'm going to start doing is all my shop drawings. I'm going to start writing all the dimensions in metric just to make people's heads explode. <laughs> Which I did actually Except have the rest that. Of the world. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. So, yeah. So anyway, here's what I was going to say is, you know, I know for the magazine will, and we have to, and there's good reasons for it is to dimension every part, you know, in overall size, case pieces, you know, face frames, you know, on a cabinet or something, doors and drawers and all the parts that go with it. But on the other hand, you know, like once you build the cabinet itself, the door and drawer dimensions are derived from that rather than the setup, set of plans, mm -hmm. no matter how perfectly you cut your parts. Yeah, you definitely don't want to build the doors and drawers first in a project <laughs> and then try to fit them to a independent cabinet. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing is funny, too, is that we've built a lot of um, projects for the TV show from plans from the magazine. And we were kind of alluding to the fact that a lot of things are arbitrary and you can kind of just build them kind of as you want to after you get the first set of parameters. And we've been building things and a lot of times we'll run into something it's like well, why did they do it this way this is kind of dumb we're going to do it our own way and then we get towards the end and we're like oh that's, that's why, why they did that my bad <laughs> so sometimes it is good to follow the plans but yeah a lot of times you can get away with you know, you changing know, it up one example of that is uh for youtube john you did that uh revolving tool station mm -hmm. uh, and so you did all the you followed the plans pretty closely on that i had made one like i think just a few months prior to that with my father-in-law over a it was like a christmas break or something like that just to he wanted it for his shop and it seemed like a cool project and and it was a fun time we had a blast doing it mm -hmm. um but one of the things we got to on the big turntable section are these small drawers that you could put accessories and whatever. And the drawers, them, the drawer sides had these weird little cutouts on the mm -hmm. sides. And I'm like, why are these here? This seems like an unnecessary step. So we didn't do it. Yeah. Assembled the drawers, got them all together. And then since they're not very deep, the plans call for having little drawer stops in there so that as you pull it out the back the upper back edge of the drawer back kind of bonks against that stop and you can't go any farther however because of the shape of the drawer and that turntable and where the stops are you can't put the stop you can't put the drawers in if they have straight sides the little right. cutouts in there are so you can tip the drawer in underneath that underneath that stop to be able to push it all the way in, mm -hmm. which didn't dawn on me until I had done that. Yeah. The moment of discovery. Right. 
It's yeah. like, oh, okay. Oh, so that's why they did that. Genius. So I ended up having the drawers like mostly in and then having to like, you know, contort <laughs> myself to install the stops. Yeah. So those drawers are in there now. Okay. They're permanent. They're permanent. Yeah. So. Live and learn. Yep. Oh, yeah. We're uh, That's why they call it practicing woodworking. Right. Exactly. You know, Logan, before I thought when you said the next project for popular woodworking, I thought you were going to say it was going to be doors and drawers for your wife's office. Oh. Ouch. Rude. True. <laughs> but rude. <laughs> No, I was actually th- I was actually thinking about that this morning because I was sitting at my dining room table editing some video and my where I sit on our dining room table faces our our living room in here and we have a mantle above our fireplace and stuff and I have a bunch of a bunch of my recent turnings are sitting up there. And my wife doesn't particularly she doesn't necessarily, my wife likes our built-ins upstairs to be nice and, like, decorated and, like, you know, designer comes in and sets them up and whatever. So she doesn't like me randomly putting my turnings on the shelves in our living room. And I was thinking, you know, I'm getting to a point where I need to move them somewhere else. And the office, the built-ins in our office are a great place for them. So I can't do that until I finish <laughs> said built-ins. So... Well-timed comment, Phil. <laughs> I, I have everything to do it. Like, I have everything. I have all the materials. Mm-hmm. I just have not. The thing I'm lacking is the motivation. <laughs> so, Right. Well, I remember you had set yourself a deadline to do it at one point earlier this year. Yeah, it was like, it was like March, but I did not say 21 or 22. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You so got time. We're going to say March 22. I got plenty of time. <laughs> so that's officially on the YouTubes now. Yep. So February 22. We're going to bring this back up. Yep. We follow up. Pounding it out. So I will say that uh, as we're recording this, two kind of fun things are happening in the state of Iowa right now. First is that uh, on recording day is the first day of the Iowa State Fair, Mm -hmm. which since we did not have a state fair in 2020, uh, I think is going to be a pretty big event this year. And I'm pretty excited to go to it. And I know that our very own Chris Fitch was one of the judges for the woodworking exhibits that are there so it'll be fun it's always fun to see people put themselves out there to build something and then have other people critique it and get judged for the fair so yeah and i'm always amazed at the variety of pieces too like we have a pretty strong wood carving community in iowa which may sound odd but we have some pretty world class cars. So much so that they and have some pretty strong own, turners too. Like Yeah, like the, the wood carvers have their own division that gets judged separately from the other woodworking. Like there's and there's some like world class carvers, which was really cool. Yeah. 
I know some of the birds and fish that they do, you just sort of, they, it's like their taxidermy. That's how good it is. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, <laughs> completely. Yeah. I like to go check out all the woodworking projects. Um, yeah. Cause you, there's a lot of variety between carving and furniture and turning and, and all that. And I mean, there's some pretty amazing work done there. I also like to go check out the 4-H building because there's mm. a lot of woodworking projects in there done by the kids. And they're always really creative and talented and beyond what I was at that age. So it's always cool to see what they come up with. So yeah. That's another place I like to check out. That's true. So if you're anywhere near the state of Iowa in these next two weeks through August 22nd of 2021, then be sure to check it out. It's a fun time. Uh, The other event is the baseball game tonight at Field of Dreams. Mm -hmm. So you can go watch. Do you guys know anybody that won the lottery to buy the tickets? I don't. Yeah, I don't know how many fans they're having know, at that I game. I know one but... guy. Oh, yeah? I I want to say there was 8,000 tickets, if I remember right. There was like okay. 8,000 tickets, and uh, you had to be a resident of Iowa, I believe, to enter the raffle to buy the tickets. So I know one guy that got uh, a pair of tickets. So somebody said that they were selling like for a ridiculous amount, um, like the ticket scalpers, <laughs> but I don't know. So it'd be cool to see. I, I think I'm guessing it's probably going to become a regular thing. Don't you think? I would hope so. I think it would you be kind so. of a fun, fun venue or experience to do that. It's like when the NHL started playing a few games outside. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. super cool. I know it wouldn't work necessarily for every climate, but I always thought uh, NBA would be, it would be super cool to see an NBA game played outside. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I think they tried to play a college basketball game on a um, aircraft carrier deck one time hmm. or something like that. And I don't remember if it didn't work out because there was too much condensation or, or something on the court or or what the deal was. Hmm. But hmm. yeah, that'd be cool to kind of see some street basketball. Yeah. Like in a park somewhere. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking, you know, I lived in Chicago for a while and there were a few pretty sweet basketball courts in the parks along the lakefront, mm-hmm. you know, that are just, I mean, they're playground you know, park basketball, but you could put stands around it and it would be if you'd have views of the city and the lake and yeah. Yeah. When I grew up in uh, Philadelphia, uh, basketball court is where I spent most of my days. So, but then, but and you yeah. got into I a got, little trouble. That was the wrong one. Yeah. I got in one little fight. <laughs> And my mom got scared, so she sent me over here. And actually, <laughs> the funny thing is, is I actually do live on Bel Air <laughs> in Ankeny, so it works. Just not with your auntie and uncle. Yeah. 
All right, then. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's it for me. I'm closing out here. See you guys. <laughs> yeah. Say so, how long? How long till they kick us off podcasting? Right. Can Can they do that? Can anybody stop us? It's kind of like public access here. Right. <laughs> like... Oh man. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. All right. So, do you guys have any? Now, Logan, you were talking about uh, your humidor project coming up. Yeah. You want to describe that a little bit more? Do you have any more of a concept other than it's got to fit a certain type of cigar? Um, yeah, you know, so I am, I have recently, and this, this probably comes from a lot, all the turning I've been doing. Um, I've become really interested in like the mixture of textures Right. Um, actually, I've mentioned this before in when I was talking about adding fur to a project and I got all these people mad at me. Right. Um, but so what I'm thinking is, I mean, if you picture a standard humidor, right, it's just a box. It's a it's a box. Um, Spanish cedar lining on the inside, um, the, which actually doesn't come from Spain, comes from Central America. Did not know that. Um but the Spanish cedar is, helps regulate the humidity and the, uh, the resins in the Spanish cedar uh, help enhance the flavor of cigars. So box, Spanish cedar lining, and the outside, um, I've been try- trying to figure out what to do with, you know, making it different. And I think we're going to do, we're going to make it out of ash, okay? And... I just like the poetry of a cigar humidor made out of ash. Like, I just like that. And then uh, the outside is going to be um, scorched and scrubbed. So I did that with the uh, cribbage board Yes, that mm-hmm. we did last season on the Woodsman Shop. So uh, if you scorch it extremely hard, I'm not talking about, you know, the, the middle school project where you lightly hit it with a propane torch. I'm talking about burning the crap out of it till it crackles red. And then you wire brush all that loose carbon off and you're left with a really like organic texture on the surface of the ash uh, and the, the late wood and early wood. Um, burn at different rates so you get this really nice wood grain texture um, but it's like charcoal black um, so we're going to do that on the outside uh, I might have a couple of bevels on there to add some form of shape so it's just not a square box Right. Um, but then we're going to do like a super high gloss glassy smooth lid on it and I haven't decided if that is going to be um just like a, I kind of like the idea of a like heavily spalted maple um, to tie in the the light and then the black lines in the, the maple. Um, but I haven't decided yet. But I really like that the idea of that contrast between the you know the matte textured black box with a glassy smooth lid. So kind of where I'm going. I'm going for a. a couple trays on the inside, some dividers that you can change around depending on what type of cigar um, or what, what size of cigar. Um, cigars come in probably eight different sizes. 
Uh, and I did decide instead of um, doing the whole, you know, hydrometer and, you know, the, the water, the distilled water packets and stuff, I'm, I'm not doing any of that. Um, nowadays we have um, the Boveda packets. They are little paper packets that have a, like, silica gel in them that regulate humidity. Okay. So you buy a pack of five of them, you throw one in the humidor in a sleeve in a holder that will be inside the lid, um, and it regulates humidity for, you know, six months, and then after six months you pull it out, throw it away, put a new one in. So uh, it's a pretty good way to easily regulate humidity. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of the, the next project on my list for Popwood. Um so I will be starting on that in the next couple of weeks. I do have a weird, there's a weird order of building this thing because when you scorch the outside of wood, it, it creates a lot of stress because it, it super, obviously super dehydrates the outside that you're burning. So you can get some warping. So trying to figure out the proper order of processes to do this. To me, I almost think, oh, I need to start with thicker stock, scorch it all black, and then plane the backside down, do all the joinery, assemble it, and then any areas that are rough wood come back, or raw wood, come back and re-scorch them. And I think that's the way I'm going to tackle it. Okay. But we will see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, I see that technique being used more and more. I mean, not to the point of epoxy Mm -hmm. river tables, but... I think it ends up being almost an afterthought on a lot of projects where it's like, um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. How about I just burn it? And then I get to use a fun yeah, exactly. Japanese word well, and, and then we're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the thing that I don't necessarily, I don't think people take it far enough. So a lot of people will just like the whole burning thing. It kind of, it conjures this image in my head of pallet wood projects. <laughs> you know, because it's like, oh, hey, yeah, I mean, doesn't it? Like, I it, tell me if I'm wrong, but it's like to me, it's like, oh, hey, I I built this coffee table out of pallet wood, and look at what I did with the propane torch. I lightly toasted the you grain, caramelized it's it. Like, yeah, no, we're going for like, yeah, you caramelized it. It's like, no, we're looking for like scorched, earth. scorched black. Like this thing, <laughs> yes, we want this to be like. You know, hell on earth. It needs to be scorched and crackling red and raw. So you're looking so, more for uh, I think, almost an ebonized finish, a textured yes, ebonized exactly. finish. exactly. It, it will be a textured ebonized type finish, yes. Um, the thing that ebonizing doesn't do, with ash at least, is it doesn't give you the texture. Um the ebonizing will give you the color for sure, but it will not give you the texture that I'm looking for. So, so yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It'll be fun to think. Mm-hmm. All right. So you want like cracks and fissures and that kind of texture. Do you want that alligator kind of skin uh, look to it? No, no. Uh, I don't think so. Um, Cause generally when you wire brush it after you've scorched it, it knocks all that alligator skin off. And what you're left yeah. with is this really, you get a really deep burn where the late wood is and where the early wood is, you get, yeah. it, it, it almost becomes topographical, if that makes sense. Sure. So, so not, not crackly. It will yeah. still, no, it will still cool. be 
fairly smooth, but just with that grain texture. We'll see. It might fall. I might fall on my face on this deal. It might not work. So. Yeah, but we'll be there for you. And man. everybody yeah. will now know. Yes. Everybody will now <laughs> know. for a good story. Work. Yep. It will. So. Cool. John, you got any projects you're working on now? Uh, like I alluded to earlier, I am just doing a lot of drywalling right now, which would be a little drywalling for a professional, but <laughs> I'm really like stretching it because yeah. mm-hmm. I'm not good at it. So that's what I'm working on at well, my house. you're not house. bad at it though. We've seen. We've no, seen I'm not bad at it. Well, you're not bad yeah, at I it. Yeah, I like a heavy texture. I mean, you've seen my MO when it comes to drywall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I lay it on thick. It's the step before step. Right. So. <laughs> or after. Which, to be fair, when you texture that heavy, you don't have to be good at drywall. Right. Yeah. I, <laughs> I get it all finished nice and smooth, and I just splatter it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Now I'm going to do, be doing some knockdown ceiling stuff. So, hopefully it doesn't turn Ooh. out that bad. But, but. Is it? Is it repair, or is it actual? Uh, well, it started out, there was a couple of... Uh, like there's two spots in our house where um like the doorknob had you know put a hole in in the drywall so i was fixing that and then our basement had never been like i've redone most stuff in our house and the basement had never been redone and had that old popcorn ceiling and a lot of the tape had popped on it and was like peeling off so just basically the whole thing needed to be redone but it's like a lot of uh like bulkheads and, and stuff around vents. So there's a ton of corners and inside corners, outside corners, and all the stuff that I had to retape when I uh, scraped up all the popcorn. So it's just a lot of working on it, waiting for stuff to dry and other coats. And but you'll be of, good at it by the end of it. Right. A lot of plastic yeah. all over the place, floors, furniture, <laughs> everything. So. Looks like a scene from Dexter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, but see, I we had a section of our ceiling in our house repaired professionally, mm-hmm. and it's knocked down. And that is the hardest thing to blend. Oh yeah, if you're trying to repair knockdown texture, it's like you can't do right. it. Like, I mean, you just got to start all over. And, and and that's what they ended up doing when they built our houses. We had a seam that popped like a week after they uh, they did the original texture on it, and they tried to repair it. And I told my builders, I was like, "Nope, you, that's like that looks terrible." And they were like, "Oh yeah, that looks awful." So they actually went through and scraped our entire ceiling and redid yeah. it because you can't. I mean, it just yeah. sucks. I'm sure there's guys that are good with good at it, going with a sponge and stuff into it, but it just. Nope, not yeah. I. Our upstairs living room and kitchen ceiling, um, when we moved in, it looked like rolled on like plaster, and I basically yeah. had to re like kind of scrape it down and re mud the entire ceiling to get it smooth enough to Ugh. to do anything with, and yeah. it's just like the messiest Yuck. job, but really works out the shoulders, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. both feel up. the burn. Yep. Yeah. So. Bill, what are you working on? Um, I have a couple of gift projects that I'm working on right now. So, and I'm actually 
this may come as a surprise to you. I'm getting close to completing my router mortiser finally. So, wow. Yep. So that's one project down. That means you need to add two more. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to have to think of something else. You don't have three balls in the air. You're not yeah. doing it right. So I have a bunch of fur left over from my workbench project, and I'm trying to think what else I can do with it because yeah. it just feels like something else needs to happen with it. Hmm. Like when you got a big pile of white fur, everything looks like a softwood project. Yeah. Birdhouse. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. I actually finished a birdhouse that I had started a long time ago, too. We did a round birdhouse for the TV show. And uh, it's just a cool plan. And it was one of those that I never thought that I would want to do because it looked complicated. But it's not. And it's actually really forgiving as a project. Mm -hmm. And then we had gotten, I don't know who sent it to us. It was a piece of uh, cypress from like the Louisiana found this cypress at the bottom of a river log lumber company, something Mm -hmm. like that. Dot com. It was, yeah, it was a company that, yeah, it was a company that, it was a company that specialized in recovering sinker cypress. So we weren't sure what to do with it because it was a decent sized piece, but not humongous either. So I ended up cutting it up into a bunch of strips for the staves for this round birdhouse and then resawing it to get the round sections out of it. And the cool thing about it is the Cypress had taken on a kind of like a fun green tint to it. Almost looked like it had been dyed a green color. And then with the, I kept, you know, cut it so that I had really straight grain in it. So it's got a, really fun look to it. So and then I added some paint and a copper roof and finally got the hanging hardware ready. So way too late for nesting season here in mm-hmm. Iowa, but uh, the 2022 crop of spring birds will find a really sweet, sweet house. So it's exciting. All right, I think that wraps it up for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, please leave them in the comments section on our YouTube channel where you can watch the episode and see some of the things that we're talking about. Don't forget to check out our show notes page at woodsmith.com slash podcasts. If you want to write to us, you can send those same comments and airing of grievances to woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Uh, you can find the Shop Notes podcast wherever you find podcasts. We're in all the places. Uh, you can also check us out, like I said, on YouTube or on our website to see it there. Thanks for listening. And just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Shaper Tools, makers of the Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. You can tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with both speed and precision. Shaper is offering that you can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Just check out shapertools.com to learn more. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye.